You are listening to the Restoration LA podcast. For more, visit us at restorationla.org. We're going to be in Nehemiah. How many of you know the story of Nehemiah? I'm going to tell you a little bit about it today, um, understanding um, some of the principles that we see in his call as he was uh, commissioned by the Lord uh, to go and rebuild the ruins that were uh, um, Jerusalem. And so um, let's just start off with Nehemiah chapter one. We'll start with verse one through four. Yeah, hopefully you have your Bibles. I'm not, I didn't give uh, Ceci my notes, so she's gonna, um, she's not in a good position to help you guys out today, but hopefully you guys have your Bibles or your apps. Here we go. Nehemiah chapter one, verse one through four, it says this. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. Uh, and so we, we see uh, this, this glimpse of like, it just, it just pops off. We're already mid-story. Uh, Nehemiah is just kind of, uh, we're, we're taking a look at his journaling of what took place in the work that God had called him to. And so um, I, I love it for this portion of scripture, the caption over um, this chapter. Normally, I don't like captions in the Bible because sometimes it, it just breaks up the Bible in weird ways. And sometimes I don't think the captions are right. Uh, but uh, God didn't write the captions. Man did. So you don't have to worry about that. Uh, but here, here uh, it says Nehemiah's concern for Jerusalem. So Nehemiah has a concern for Jerusalem. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. And I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And so uh, we see this story, uh, Nehemiah, he is in the king's palace. King Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes was a Persian um, emperor. He was, he was a king. If you know anything about the imperial rule, especially through biblical times, there was uh, the Babylonian empire who came through and just conquered the known world at the time. And the Jews were swept up in that conquering. And so um, they were sacked by the Babylonians and became under Babylonian rule. Then the Persian empire comes and just, you know, takes over the entire world. And so Xerxes and then eventually his sons who would reign after him, uh, you guys might hear that name from the, the, the movie 300. Don't watch the movie 300. I'm just saying if, if whatever. Um, I, I like the movie, but um, so you'll see Xerxes in there. This is Xerxes' third son, Artaxerxes, who is at this time the most powerful man on the planet. And somehow Nehemiah, a Jew, finds himself in uh, th this, this palace. And we'll get um, to know why in a little bit. So uh, as he inquires, he's in this palace. Jews come from Judah into the palace. So obviously this palace was this metropolitan place that people were coming and going. And he asks about the people that are in Jerusalem. Now, the exiles, what had happened up to this time, um, I think um, Steve explained a little bit about this. As people were conquered by these by these. Um, Kings, the the, the 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 imperial rule of these you know kind of civilizations, 
all of the people who were of prominence were kind of taken into the king's court, like all the all the smart people, all the all the nobles and those kind of things. They were taken into the king's court. All the rest of the people were enslaved. So they would they would put them in a slave that uh, enslaved them and they would put them to work. They'd be building their palaces and, you know, kind of doing the things that the king wanted them to do. And so somehow Nehemiah found himself in the court and not one of those who was exiled and put into slavery. Right. And so these exiles who were taken from their land now were able to return to the land. And so if you remember from um, some of the um, stories of the last couple of weeks, things began to take place where um, the temple was starting to be rebuilt. And we talked about the foundations and um, all all the civilization was starting to take place and and kind of the the, the practice of of, uh, traditional Jewish worship began to um, start again. And so Nehemiah, a Jew, was excited to hear what was happening with all of these exiles returning back to Jerusalem. And so they said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. So you can imagine this, this was some discouraging news for um, Nehemiah, who was, man, they were in captivity. They were taken as exiles out of Jerusalem. Now they're given like these free tickets to go back to Jerusalem, thinking, man, things are going to be going awesome. I heard about the foundations of the temple being laid, and I'm hearing all these good things. But the reports that he gets is things aren't going well. You can imagine what that would look like, let's just say, for a, a local church. There's a, there's a study for, out by George Barna uh, right now about what the pandemic has done to the church in this last two years. And the numbers say that 50% of people have not gone back to church. This is who believers who were church members and had been a part of the church, and 50% of believers have not gone back to church. There's, there's reports that, that I hear from personal reports being connected to different pastors in the community and, and abroad, that there are churches that still have not started again, that they're still struggling to get going. They're still tr- struggling to, to meet in person. They're meeting online for, for various reasons. I believe most of them are out of concern for their people, but things haven't gone back. So you can imagine someone saying, hey, how's the church going? And hearing things aren't going well for the church. There's nobody there. <laughs> There's nobody there. Uh, we, you show up and like, man, the doors are 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 closed. I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a hard thing to see in this season that some churches that shut their doors because of the pandemic, listen, friends, will never open again. There's there's buildings being being sold, and uh, um, I got a report from Linton um, this past week that man, there's there's buildings just being church buildings being given away um, in Huntsville because those churches have just buckled. They, they have not weathered the storm. And that's not a God thing. I really believe that's a man thing. Uh, but So things aren't going well for the, the providence of, of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. So obviously calamity has come for various reasons, various uh, 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 attacks and various schemes from the surrounding. And I believe a lot of it was possibly uh, from the original sacking of the city. You know, all these things that took place. Verse four, Nehemiah saying, when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. When I heard this, I sat down and I wept 
In fact, for days I mourned and I fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. And this is the beginning of Nehemiah's call. He hears something that has taken place in Jerusalem and it's the people of God, a people that he is connected to. And this is, this is uh, uh, I'm going to get into some of this in a bit, but it's a strange way that he's connected to this because by all accounts, Nehemiah was born into Persian captivity. He, he, he wasn't someone who lived in Jerusalem in its heyday when the temple was erected and the walls were built and strong and Jerusalem was a force to be reckoned with as a nation. He was born in captivity. He had never known the glory of Jerusalem. And yet to hear that the people of God were experiencing this hardship in a place that he had never had a real connection with, listen, friends, is only a God thing. It's a God thing. Most calls of God start this way. I mean, a concern for people. Think about this, right? It's the word that the Lord put on my heart was compassion. Compassion. And the definition for compassion is this, friends. Sympathetic pity for his, um, um, sympathetic pity or concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. Most calls start with that. There is a people that are suffering and God has something to say about it. And as he has something to say about it, what he does is he puts it on the heart of an individual or, or a few. We'll see, we see that a lot in scripture. And it's the, that, that person's compassion that begins to turn inside of them that causes them not to only feel compassion, but to develop a passion for that compassion. We see this in, the, in the Moses' ministry. It starts with his compassion for his fellow Jews who were enslaved by the Egyptians. We see Abraham's compassion uh, for, for his family, right? His nephew Lot, and it causes him to fight battles, the original 300 story, um, to fight battles, to save him, and even intercede to save the wicked city of Gomorrah just to save his nephew. We see Esther's compassion for her people causes her to risk her own life for her fellow Jews. We see Jesus' compassion that causes the Christ to come to earth to rescue the entire planet from the wages of sin and death. But each and every one of these compassions, listen, friends, turned into a passion, a fire, a mission. So we, we, um, we talk, when we talk about Easter, we call it the Passion Week because Jesus did something about the suffering that didn't sit right with our Heavenly Father. He did something about it. And this was, this was Nehemiah's story. And so um, all of these epics in, in the Bible, I call them epics because I always see things in movies. Like these are, uh, that's my thing. It's all, as epic as these biblical accounts are, Listen, friends, they have not been placed in scriptures to entertain us. I mean, I love these stories. In, in, in Sunday school, you hear all these big war stories, and they're not just put there to entertain us. There's an encouragement within scripture that is showing us a pattern of God that God has always desired a people for himself, and the condition of those people matter to him. 
And as we are a people of God, and as we have been positioned by God in in every position that he has placed us as individual, there is still a greater passion for God for our lives. How many of you believe that? These biblical epics, I believe they're meant to reveal a pattern, a pattern that should encourage the true people of God into action. How can we just look and see the condition of the world around us and sit on our hands? How can we look and see our neighbor starving and just sit on our hands? How can we look and see a world, listen, friends, I'm going to be very blunt today, dying and going to hell and just sit on our hands. Our compassion has to be transformed into a passion. And I believe this is what God is asking us for as a local church. And if you believe that, say amen. This pattern should encourage the true people of God into action when the people of God recognize suffering. Listen, friends, this is when we do our best work. This is when the church does its best work. And, and, and as much as the church has so many flaws, and if you look historically on how many things that we have done so wrong, friends, there are so many things that she has done so right. When you think about the hospitals that were built, when you think about the churches and, and the nations that have been transformed by the gospel, when you think about the orphanage, orphanages that were built to, to take in children and to love them and to bring, bring them into prominence as, as, as adults, I mean, there's so many things that the church did so right. And it starts with compassion. But that pat compassion can't just stay in a place like, oh, pobrecitos. I mean, we can get so numb to it. Just think about it. We live in LA. We live in the homeless capital of the world. And why I mean that is because there's more homeless in this city than there is anywhere on the planet. And our compassion could just be like, oh, how sad. It breaks my heart. What are we doing about it? How do I respond? Somehow our compassion has to turn into a passion. And I want to bring this to a more spiritual level, friends. This is what the church does. This is when we do our best work. When we see the world with the eyes of Christ. When we see the world with the eyes of Christ and we're moved into action. This was Nehemiah's story. He hears that Jerusalem is not in a good condition and he begins to weep. He wasn't even connected to the city. Has that ever happened to you? I mean, have you, have you ever just looked at a nation and just begin to weep? Have you ever, ever thought about the condition of, I mean, just think when all the tragedies happen and when a hurricane hits some impoverished nation, and you just, I mean, does it break your heart to a place where you're mourning? I mean, this guy stopped eating. It, was, it, it, it touched him to his inner core. And I'm telling you, the people of God, this, as the people of God, things like this should move us. But what I think has happened is we just become so domesticated in our lives. We're just thinking about our lot. We're thinking about, you know, the, the, the walls that we live in. And we're thinking about our households. And listen, friends, you should be concerned with your households. And you should be concerned with your children. And I know many of us give ourselves to, to ensure that, that our households are taken care of. But I'm telling you, it can't just be about what, it can't just be about our four walls and those who live within it. Just think about 
Moses. <laughs> Moses could have looked at his position and then looked at the, the children of Israel and be like, nah, I'm good, man. I'm like, I'm like Pharaoh's son. I mean, they treat me like royalty. I was once a slave. I mean, I could have been like any one of those guys out there slaving away and building these massive pyramids, but I'm not like them. I've been accepted. I'm in. Why would I go back? Why would I choose to take off these royal garments and worry about my own position and go do that? Can you imagine if that was Moses' stance? Like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> Pretty good here in the house of Pharaoh. I don't want to blow a good thing. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. He was a cupbearer in, in, in the, the palace of Artaxerxes, the most powerful man on the planet. And he gets this report about the lowly Jews who are coming back from exile and moving back into Jerusalem. And they were in an insecure place. And the report was things are not going well with them. And Nehemiah could have very easily been like, man, it sucks for them. I don't know anything about that. I've been living here all my life. Little, little history. Um, somehow Nehemiah found himself in this court ordained by God. And I think that happens in our life. Sometimes we find ourselves in places and we just don't know how we get there. We had, we had um, Val and Ceci. I don't want to embarrass you, Ceci, but it's a cool thing. So we had Val and Ceci over for dinner. We're just talking. I'm just like, man, Ceci, just, just feel like the Lord always puts you in an amazing place to be used. Like five foot Ceci. She called herself that. I didn't, I didn't. <laughs> but she's in a place to be used. God does that. He just puts people in the right place at the right time. Do you think that about your life? Do you think that about your life, that you have put, been put in the right place at the right time for God to do something significant, listen, friends, through your life, with your influence and with the impact that you have in the sphere that God has placed you in? This is what Nehemiah, where Nehemiah found himself. He's a cupbearer to, to and and. Artaxerxes and his father used to call themselves the king of kings, right? What a mockery to our king. But they used to call, because they would sack kings and bring those kings under their rules and call themselves the king of kings. He is in this court, and he's the guy who actually brings the cup to the king to drink. He would actually taste test before the king ever would drink anything to ensure that he was being poisoned. I mean, what a place, what a trusted place. So from, from the timeline, we can draw an educated conclusion that Nehemiah was born in, um, to Jewish parents under Persian captivity, uh, who probably, listen, his family probably had some skill set uh, or, or was had some prominence within, you know, you know, kind of the Jewish community that caused them to come into Persia and not be exiled with the others and not put into slavery. And so Nehemiah was born into that, raised up, became the cupbearer. And while being a, a cupbearer, the most powerful man on the planet, Nehemiah uses his prominence and this trusted place that he had been given for more than his own benefit. And I believe that there's, there's the same call for each and every one of us. You have been given a place. You've been given 
You know, maybe it's been through your hard work. Maybe it's been through your upbringing. Maybe it's been by, by what we would call chance. But have we ever thought that maybe it was God? And now that you're in this place, God has so much more for you with where you're at. How many of you believe that? Even if you don't, I want to tell you this morning, I believe that about you. I believe that God has more for you in your place where God has called you. We, we see the but God factor take place so many times in scripture, right? When, when, when you think that, that things are stacked against you or you think that, you know, hey, you know, um, Moses could have very easily said, hey, I love my position. There's no need for me to do anything. You know, if God, God is sovereign. How many of you guys have heard that stuff, right? Well, God is sovereign. And, you know, if he, you know, someone else will do it. Like if God really wants it to happen, he doesn't have to use me. He can use anyone he wants. Um, there's a but God factor. I really believe each and every one of us needs to experience. Because if we're only living for ourselves, I'm telling tell you, there needs to be an interruption of that. If we're living for our domestic dream and we're just living for our households, there has to be an interruption for that. Most of that is, is, is a call. Moses had the burning bush moment. Nehemiah has this moment where they bring the report. His heart, I believe, is touched by the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit begins to stir in him, he mourns and he weeps and he's called into action. We see this happen all the time. God had more. Nehemiah would be called to continue the work of Haggai and Ezra to ensure the exiles of Jerusalem would establish a secure and holy community once again. He was going to be a part of this long story. God was going to use him to be a part of something others were doing. And I think sometimes we think that this is just our thing, right? Like, do do we really realize that what we are a part of, it's not just us. We're connected to this beautiful story that God is doing even now in 2022. I've reminded you guys of this in the past that it, scripture tells us that God ordains the times and places for men to dwell. How many of you believe that? And so if God has ordained the, the places and times for men to dwell and we have found ourselves here by God's ordination, then that means we have some work to do together. Like Nehemiah, he, he was ordained in a time and a place and Haggai was doing stuff and Ezra was doing stuff and somehow this cupbearer who was in the household of Xerxes was called into that story to do something very significant. And I want to remind us that we may not, we may be looking at other things and like, wow, look at what that guy is doing and whoa, look at what that guy is doing and not have any clue that God is adding who we are to that very thing because we're, we're part of a bigger plan. We're part of a bigger plan. And to withhold our passion from what God is doing, honestly, friends, I believe is sin. I believe is sin. For us to not to do the things that God has called us to do is disobedience. There's a word used for disobedience in scripture, and it's a harsh word, but I really want us to understand this. The word for disobedient used in scripture um, several times, is witchcraft. Isn't that crazy? Don't use it on your kids. Like, you little devil, you don't be practicing witchcraft in my house now. <laughs> so, so, yeah, my little Ray Ray, oof. The rebuke for Haggai 
would ring true for Nehemiah's life as well. And if you remember the, the verse um, that Steve Barr used a couple weeks ago, Haggai receives this word from the Lord and says this, why are you living in luxurious homes while my house lies in ruins? Really like, why, why are you about your work? As I shared last week, why are you about your dream and you haven't considered mine? This is, this is what Nehemiah had, that rebuke would ring true for him because he is sitting nice and pretty in the, in, in the king's palace and yet he gets this story, this report that things aren't going well with the people of Jerusalem. So this rebuke would ring true in his life and it would call him to action. Does that for us? How do we deal with the Lord's correction or rebuke? Do we deal with it remorsefully where we're sorry about it? But there's no true repentance. And what true repentance means, it's actually not, am I just sorry? And not as in there just an acceptance that, yes, I have done something wrong. But the repentance is that now I turn and do that which God is calling me to, right? We turn from that thing that is causing us to repent and return towards God and the thing he has called us to. Why are you living in luxurious homes while my house lies in ruins? Translated, how is it that you are building for yourself and not for me? And I think that's a question the church needs to ask herself today. Um, Nehemiah would, would, would come, listen, friends, like an 11th hour worker. He would come like an 11th hour worker and he would join the work that had started in Jerusalem when they were relaying the foundation and when they were starting to uh, erect the temple once again. And he would join this 11th hour work. Um, he would rally a city. Listen, friends, not to just protect herself, but to be this beacon of Yahweh again here on the planet. And so um, there's, there's some keys here that I want to leave with us, uh, a few points. Um, first, uh, first one is to fight and build. This is the work that, that Nehemiah gave himself when he got to Jerusalem. And so the Bible says he, had to, he snuck out because he didn't want anyone to know what he was doing. And I think this is, this is um, maybe particular to him, but I think this is also some wisdom in this. I think sometimes when God calls us, like we want everyone to know, right? We want to show everyone all the glorious things we're doing for God. Nehemiah stuck out in the middle of the night. He took a few people. He left on a donkey and he got to the city and he just started getting to work. This is what he did. It wasn't like, hey, God has called me to repair the walls in Jerusalem. I want everyone to know it. If you want to help me, you're going to be doing God's work, but just know this is my call and you're helping me. That's not what he did. That's not what he did. He went out in the middle of the night and he started getting things done, right? How he started Nehemiah 4.18, we see this um, beautiful thing. He taught the people how to fight and how to build. And I think the church in this season needs to know how to do this very thing. If you're going to put passion towards the compassion that you have towards something that God has called you to, you need to learn how to fight and you need to learn how to build. I think we believe that um, in, in this knowing that Jesus is building his church, I think we feel like we don't have to build anything. But that's the furthest thing from the truth because we are co-laborers with Christ. 
We are partners in what he is building. And so Nehemiah had to teach these people how to fight and build. Um, Nehemiah chapter 418, all the builders had a sword and um, belted to their side. All the builders, they were building and they were ready to fight at the same time. And I'm telling you, this day the church needs to know how to do this again. The people of God need to know how to build and how to fight. I think people get taken out by, by far too easily in the church today. We are the church of Jesus. The Bible says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the Lord's church. The gates of hell will not prevail against the Lord's church. And if we are his church, how is it that we get taken out by things far less powerful than the gates of hell? The pandemic is not the gates of hell. The economy are not the gates of hell. Our government are not the gates of hell. And let, let, me, let me be challenging. What is happening in our household, as hell-like as it can feel, are not the gates of hell. We are the people of God, and we need to learn how to fight and how to build, and listen, friends, do it simultaneously. This is what took place here. They were building the wall. They were, they were, they were reconstructing and, and putting up this wall. It was a pretty amazing feat. It took 52 days to do this job that Nehemiah was called to. 52 days. And he taught the families how to rebuild. And while they're at it, they had swords on their side just in case they had to throw down. If that's not East LA, I don't know what is. But this is the church. We need to know how to build and we need to know how to fight. He would show families the value of fighting. Listen, he would show families the value of fighting for what God has given them. Are you contending for what God has given you? Are you fighting for what God has given you? Second thing is he would show families how to build and protect not just themselves, but each other. Uh, last week, I think I ended, I ended the, um, the preach with this. Um, when anytime there was a threat on the wall while they were working, they had a trumpet. And wherever the trumpet blew, everyone else would stop their work and they would go to that weak spot wherever the threat was coming from. And this is a beautiful picture of how the church should be operating. Is that yes, we are about building what God has put in front of us. And so most of these people, they were building and, and, and repairing the walls that were in front of where they lived. Right, this, this, this wall was wrapped around Jerusalem and the cities were kind of built from the outside in, right? And so people lived, the marketplaces were around the walls and there was tons of stuff that happened around the gates. And so as say my house was here, that's the part of the wall that protects my part of the city. So I went and I, and I helped work there. And so it was, it was in front of me, it was my place. And so as things were happening over there, I'm telling you there's so much of the church and even mostly in our culture, we see like, hey, I'm, I don't got time for all that. Look, you see this big hole in front of my wall? Like, good luck with yours, I'm protecting this. That's not how they operated. When, thing, when threats were coming, they dropped their work, even if it left their lot insecure, and they went and they helped protect and build their neighbors. This is a picture of the church. It should be a picture of the church. And I'm telling you, so many times we see the, the church being threatened over here, and we're like, wow, sucks to be them. When we should be joining and battling. And, and I love the fact, uh, like on, on an individual basis, we do this as a church. You have no idea how many families 
are fighting right now in the life of our church. I hear about in, in, in other churches of saying we're just disconnected and nobody, you know, nobody looks after me and no one, you know, reaches out. And man, when Vanessa and I were down for COVID, I can't tell you how blessed we were to know that people were just like, hey, what can I bring? And I mean, soups, amazing soups were coming to my house. Like out of like heavenly soups were coming to my house, right? Just, we've had family in this last season experience deaths and I've watched the church rally sickness and I've watched the church rally but can you imagine a church where it's just like man that sucks that's not what we're called to be but to a greater degree friends to a greater degree because there's so much work fight and build you with me next one is we got to be aware of distractions be aware of distractions internal and external and, and let me just say this, if, if I can be honest with you, most internal distractions when we're doing God's work start with us. They start with us. We have to be very, very careful when it comes to our heart condition with where we're building and where, and where we're fighting. Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter six that we do not contend against flesh and blood, but against principalities and dark forces that operate in a realm that is not earthly. We have to know this, that the distractions that come can come from within. And I see so many people taken out from the church because of things that happen where? In the church. And we have to be prepared for that. We have to be prepared for that. And we have to know that we are a huge part of that. Uh, in, in our relational series, we went through how to deal with offenses and all those things. And, and we have to be very aware of those things and how we deal with the fences in our heart conditions. Nehemiah was doing a great work. And I'm telling you, there was people from within Jerusalem who were watching this guy come from the king's palace to Jerusalem to help them. And they were trying to distract him from what he was doing. It's crazy. But there's also external and those external things, sometimes I think they're, they're a little easier to identify because it is the enemy's attacks. But I do believe that now more than ever, the church needs to not only be taught and understand the theology of spiritual warfare, they need to learn to be equipped in how to practice it. Spiritual warfare is a serious thing, friends. I see too many people flirting around with demonic forces there are too many people just, just having a sense that there's something demonic around and yet don't understand the authority that they have in God to deal with those things. And I'm not saying flirting with it like, you know, you're playing with it, but just like not giving it attention just because it's maybe you're ill-equipped to do it. And I'm telling you, the church today needs to give themselves to understanding spiritual warfare. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 2 through 3, it says like this. So Sanballat and Gresham sent a message um, asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the in the plain of Ono. And so Sambalad and Geshem were some rulers outside of Jerusalem who had their eyes on Jerusalem. They're waiting for Jerusalem to fall so that they can come in and, and, and take ownership of this city. And so they were they were enemies while they were pretending to not be. And this is what the enemy does. The enemy doesn't always come, you know, like like the red tail and the pitchfork. Sometimes he comes in the form of, of a friend. Right? Sometimes he comes in a, in, a, in a form of someone very familiar to us. And I'm not telling you to start you know, searching your friends and be like, are you an enemy? I'm not asking you to do that. But we have to be, he is so 
skilled at masking who he is. These men are like, hey, Nehemiah, come down. We want to meet with you. And the truth is, uh, because the spirit of the Lord was on him, he knew that these men wanted to kill him. So this is, this is, I love his response. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I love this. I love this. I'm engaged in a great work. I'm doing something pretty awesome for God right now. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Listen, friends, when we, uh, a friend of mine used to always talking about placing the pin back in the grenade, right? I mean, it's just really easy, right? If you've ever held a grenade, it's a very anxious thing. Let me just tell you this right now. A live grenade is a very anxious thing. If you've ever watched a movie, I mean, people pull grenades and they throw it in the room behind me, and like, they're like, and then they run in. That's not a grenade. Like if you let go of a grenade, especially a shrapnel grenade, that thing will rock this building. You have no idea. And so when they trade you to, to, to you know, do grenades, there's this thing called milking that they put the fear of God in you. In. And milking is this, right? There's a pin, take it out, and there's this lever. And milking means you went like this. You unleashed it, but then you drew it back, not realizing that that thing's triggered now. So you got three seconds. So you don't milk a grenade, right? So you go like this, and then you throw that thing, and then that thing is boom. The power and the authority, listen, friends, that we have, when we don't flirt with the enemy, all we're doing is we're taking that pin, and we're putting it right back in the grenade. Nothing. It's a simple thing. He wouldn't even entertain the distraction from the enemies that were trying to get him off. He's like, listen, I'm doing, I'm doing God's work. Why would I stop doing God's work to get down and go and entertain you guys when I'm doing something God's called me to do? This is what Jesus said. When the Lord walked the earth, he said this, my food, my sustenance, the thing that gives me life is to do my father's work. Why would I stop doing it to entertain anything else? And I'm telling you, friends, the church needs to get back to this. Why would I stop and be distracted by something that's trying to prevent me from doing the thing that God has called me to do? Why? So my question is this. Do you believe that you are engaged in a great work? Do you believe that? Do you believe that what God has called us to as a people is a great work. And if you do, in partnership, can you realize the distractions within, without, name them, put those pins back into the grenades so that they're no longer distractions and we can get on with what God has called us to. It's a great work, friends. And I love kind of the end of the story that uh, we see um, celebrated through some of the preaching that has been given before. Nehemiah 8, we see this celebration, this victory, you know, this rebuilding. And what happens when restoration comes? What happens when revival comes? What happens when we are, are doing the Lord's work and we see it come to fruition? I'm telling you, friends, there should be celebration. And I'm telling you, what happens? 
I don't know how many of us often live in celebration because we don't give ourselves to works in these ways. I think we need victories. I think the church needs victories more now than ever before. I mean, we see, we talk about the victories of old. I mean, we talk about revivals all the time, right? The Azusa Street Revival and the Great Welsh Revival, uh, um, I mean, the, the Toronto Blessing. We talk about all these things like, like God can't do it again. And so we're living vicariously by the things that happened before. And we talk about, oh, I remember back when and all these kind of things. I told you, I probably shared this story. I remember talking to a friend about his activity in the life of the church. It was a, a guy who had led me for, for a, a portion of time. And I just saw him just begin to fade into the back and fade into the back. And I kind of came alongside of him. and I had this hard, hard conversation with him. I said, bro, what's happening, man? I feel like God's like, pulling me to, to a place, but I'm watching you kind of go in the other direction. And he's like, oh man, you probably don't know this, but man, I used to be a, a, a really serious leader in the life of this church, man. I used to do this and this and that. So now it's just a blessing for me to watch all you guys do it. And I was like, what? So you've retired? Like, did, like, you, you do a job and then like, that's it. Like you just give up and like, there's no more to do. Like, like when do we graduate from doing what God has called us to do? And I'm telling you, I think so many people look back and say, I remember I did this and I did this. And so now I just get to chill. And I'm telling you friends, as long as there's one person bound for hell in the life of our city or in, the, or in your sphere of influence, you got a job to do. And it's time to start building some walls and it's time to start picking some fights for the sake of the kingdom. If you wouldn't mind standing with me this morning. I just wanna pray for us this morning. I, I want to remind each and every one of you that God is calling you to a great work. He's calling you to a great work. And that, and that great work is very unique. God sees you, you as an individual connected, yes, to his bride, but you have a great work to do. And pastors, and, and even here in the life of our church, we can rah-rah and try to motivate you and say, hey, you know, come and be a part of our thing. But ten, friends, until it's a revelation for you on what God has called you to do, it's not going to be significant. I believe we need a revelation that God is calling us to something significant. And maybe you'll never be a ne Nehemiah, and maybe I'll never be a Moses. But man, you can be a Brett. <laughs> you can be a Mike. Be a Jonathan. Be a Lewis. And you know what's amazing is God sees you and knows your name. And your purpose on this planet is just as significant because you've been created in your father's image. And you've been created to do your father's business. 
Are you willing? Are you willing to pick up your father's trait and with the compassion that he's put on your heart, put passion behind it and watch this world turn to Jesus like she was always supposed to be? That's my prayer for us. That's my prayer for us. Fight, build, and celebrate. <laughs> Man, I can't wait to do some celebrating. So Lord, I, I, I pray as we close this morning or this portion of the morning. And Lord, I ask, Lord, for a stirring. I ask for a fire, God. And if it starts with, with, with the compassion as Nehemiah did when he heard the reports of, of, the, of the city lying in ruins and let it be that, God. But I pray that we open our eyes and we open our ears and we'd be willing to hear the reports from heaven that there's work to be done here on earth. Lord, I pray like never before, we will be stirred. Lord, I speak against the distractions. Lord, I take hold of those things in the name of Jesus. Lord, the distractions that are bogging down the individuals in this place, the distractions that are bogging ministries down in this place, the distractions that are bogging down this ministry as a whole, God. I rebuke them in the name of Jesus. And I pray, Father, I pray Lord, that we will stand and fight like never before in 2022. We're not just going to look back and see the condition of things and say, oh, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. I pray you speak, you speak boldly over your children. I pray they see their significance in your kingdom. I pray they will never settle for less. Never settle for less in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We take up the call. We take up the mantle and the authority that you've given us in our positions. We say, yes, Lord. Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, let's give Jesus praise this morning. Um, if you guys wouldn't mind taking a seat, um, we, uh, man, we have a, a, a seems like an, another bittersweet moment. We are going to be praying for Ezekiel today. So, see, come on up, babe. You want to come up? Uh, my family, you can come up, please. That'd be good. Yeah. So last week we we announced that we were, um, you could get. Oh yeah, please bring all the kids. Yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah. I'll kind of delay. George, you going for San Francisco today or what? <laughs> awesome. Thanks for your patience. Um, we, we announced last week that we are going to be uh, sending off Ezekiel today. Um, he is headed to Anthem Church in Chicago, and so we are extremely excited about that. Um, and obviously we are, are sad in a way that we are going to miss him. We are going to miss his, his presence with us as a church. Um, we're going to miss what he brings to the life of our church in his gifting. And, um, and obviously our family is going to miss him tremendously too. He's been, uh, the life of our family since he was born, if you can imagine that. Uh, but man, we, we also know that, uh, 
that God has more for him, just like he has more for each and every one of us. And uh, as, as his call is being developed, uh, we believe that this is, this is the right thing in God. And we know that we are sending him to an amazing place. And so as they went to an internship, just a little um, evolution of how this took place, they went to an internship out in Chicago this past summer. And then on their return, Steve Sudworth had called and said, hey, you know, we would really um, like to have uh, Ezekiel um, part of our team. We would love to kind of open up doors for him. And and so um, as... Uh, pleased as we were to hear that and all that kind of stuff, there were still some things that needed to be worked out, you know? And so he eventually, uh, the Lord opened up a door for him to get a job. Uh, so he starts a job next Monday with an insurance company. And then he's going to be serving the church uh, alongside of the eldership team and uh, doing various things, worship, youth ministry, and things like that, that they really believe that he's called to help them with. So, um, as we've been looking at the, the greater picture, you know, us sending the Patricks, um, us sending one of our sons, and we believe we'll continue to send. Uh, we, we believe why we are doing the sending is because God has a harvest for us. We believe in the principle of seed time and harvest. When you sow seeds, God will bring a harvest. And so we don't know how that harvest comes. And so uh, I know Pam and Steph are praying, we sow one drummer, we get three more. Uh, that's how it goes. Um, my, my wife would um, really be thinking, we sow one son, we get three more. Uh, but so, <laughs> but it, it, in that, honestly, friends, we, we are so uh, thankful for what the Lord has done in Zeke's life. We're thankful um, for where he is today. And we are so blessed to, to send from, from us as a family, and I believe from us as a church, our best, and to sow them, uh, sow them into the kingdom of God, that greater picture that we're talking about. So um, we want to do this with full faith. And so I'm going to probably ask my wife to share. Uh, and then we're going to pray. We're going to lay hands on him. And then we are going to send him um, as we would send anyone else who God is calling to, um, to greater things. And so we don't believe Anthem is greater. We believe the greater call in his life is, is what the greater is. And so, um, yeah, babe. Yeah, so the Lord gave me a word for you, Ziki. Um, it's Matthew 7, verse 24 um, and 25. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them, anyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and burst against that house, and yet it did not fall. I'll read that again. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and burst against that house, and yet it did not fall. For it had been founded upon the rock. I remember when we dedicated you in this actual room and I find it like the Lord brought that to my attention this morning about how tiny you were. You were the tiniest of all the three. We stood up here with, with all the people who surrounded us on that day. Um, and we dedicated you to the Lord. And today you're still dedicated to the Lord. 
but now you're, you're going to do what he says. And so as a mom, what the Lord has placed upon my heart is amen, so be it, and it is well with my soul. Mm. It's painful, but it is well with my soul. You're a brave boy. You have conquered things that I would quiver and shake at. And so just from a mother's heart and from a mom in this church, we are very proud of you. You have overcome, and we're very proud of you. And I believe that uh, this is just the beginning of your future. This is like the first gate mm. to the rest of your life. Yeah. Amen. I'd love to invite some, some leaders up, if you guys wouldn't mind. Um, and if the rest of you, if you feel uh, compelled to stand, it might be, might be a little while. Uh, we, I don't know how this is going to develop, but. Is, is my mic off or is it on? It's off? Did I turn it off? Okay, thanks. Yeah, if you guys um, are willing to just extend your hands towards Ezekiel and um, if, if anyone has any um, words that you want to speak as we are laying hands on him. Did you have something, Steve? Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. Um, I was praying for you this week, knowing that today was coming, and um, I got two pictures. One of a heartbeat, but, you know, the little lines. And it was all these peaks. So it was like a different kind of heartbeat. And I believe that's what you're taking to Chicago, a different heartbeat. And then I got a picture of a campfire. I'm not a camper, don't like camping. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. Um, but what I do know is a campfire brings people around them. And it's a light and it brings warmth. And I believe you're taking that to Chicago too. Awesome. Um, Zeke, it's... Uh been just a joy to see you grow up in this church. You've been a son in this house. And um, yeah, some of the words that uh, I felt the Lord wanted to remind you of is give him glory in everything you do. Um, go wherever he sends you. Three, um, just grow and mature in the Lord. You know, we love you. Yeah, Zeke, I gave you a word last night, but um, I just want to encourage you that this nation needs more men like you, uh, more men that are obedient, more men that are submissive to his authority. And yeah, I think that his kingdom is benefiting because of your obedience and your continued obedience. And like Jody said, it's not Chicago that you're going to, you're going, you're walking in what God has called you to do. And you're an example of a generation that needs men to stand up, that needs men to fight, that mean, needs men to go down on one knee and listen to the assignment and then go out and go and do. Um, and I look forward to the reports of you taking other men into battle with you. Um, there's generally only one kind of commander or general and then there are many men following that, and I see us sending out mm. a general into uh, his kingdom. Awesome. Cool. All right. If anyone else has any words for him today, um, we'd love for you guys to give them to him, uh, just so he has some encouragement uh, as he uh, starts his journey.
So I'm going to lay hands on him and uh, I would love for you guys to join me in prayer. So Lord, we um, lay hands <laughs> and Lord, I pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel knows that he is anointed. Lord, he knows that he is equipped. He knows that you are not finished with him. And Lord, I, I'm just uh, what Gavin shared and Lord, the lessons that I taught him as a boy, just obey, <laughs> just obey, Lord, that if he would just continue to follow your lead, yeah. go where you say to go, yeah. say what you say to say, yeah. Lord, he will see success in the kingdom. Yeah. And Lord, I pray, Father, that his eyes will not be on the left or the right, though 10,000 fall to the left and to the right, Lord, he, Lord, will not be, be wavered um, in the things that you have called him to. Lord, I just pray for a hedge of protection over him. Lord, I pray a hedge of protection over his mind. I pray a hedge of protection over his body and his spirit, God. But a young man answering a call, Lord, to move to a city and, and to engage um, the kingdom that you are building in that place, God. Uh, Lord, it takes courage. Uh, and I pray, Father, that he won't be distracted. He won't be distracted by anything that will be thrown at him. And I pray for brothers, sisters, spiritual moms and, and fathers, Lord, who will come alongside of him and will continue uh, to nurture him in the ways that you are fashioning him. And Lord, we, we are thankful that this is the first door of many. And so, Lord, we send him as a spiritual household with our full blessing. And Lord, we say yes and amen. And we can't wait to hear of all of the victories. We can't hate, wait to hear all of the testimonies and to see, Lord, all that you are going to do through Ezekiel's life. I pray he knows he is loved. Lord, I pray he knows that he is accepted wholly in your kingdom. And Lord, that you see him through and through. And Lord, you still say, I have chosen you. I have chosen you. And we are thankful for that. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Johnny, can you bring that paper up? Johnny had a word for you, and I don't normally do this, but I'm going to read it because, yeah, she'll cry. She had a dream, and uh, I, I, the Lord gave me the interpretation of it, and this is just the gist of it. There was a gatekeeper who had a box full of money, I'm sure other things, um, you walk through uh, many gates. So he opened up about three gates for you. And um, as you're walking, you had one shoe on. Um, and um, this, well, it's actually Johnny, but I believe Johnny represents you. Um, you thought this man stole my shoe. But the Lord said to her, she asked her what it meant. And the Lord said to her, you're going to help those along the way. And they will help you get to where you need to be. I think it's just confirmation of last night's words of you walking along with people, you being the helper. And also with Ange, I believe Ange mentioned, um, like meeting somebody who's going to open up a gate for you uh, mm. or door for you. And so I just believe that for your future, um, I woke up today with um, Jerusalem on my heart. I woke up with the Holy Land on my heart and uh, I YouTubed it and I learned some stuff and uh, just by the words that were flowing uh, just in God, I really feel like this is like the next step to the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. um, and I just wanted to encourage you with the confirmation dream from Johnny, who, mind you, Johnny 
if you knew Johnny, you'd say this is out of her character to have dreams. But she craved the dream, and she said, Lord, show me something for Zeke, and he did. And I believe this is from the Lord. So I just want to share that with you. Um, and, yeah, we're very proud of you. Amen. Awesome. Cool. Um, did, did anyone else have a word that they wanted to share real quick and before we close today? And Mike, please, man. Um, I kind of been thinking about how, you know, we've been studying about Nehemiah and, um, you know, the helpers, the workers, the soldiers that have been, you know, protecting this wall, building this wall. And then it made me think back, you know, when you're a little kid, you know, nice to be like, man, this kid's going to be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and then as you got older um, and you started to mature and, uh, you know, still have that boldness, but still a piece about you. Uh, I was like, man, those words are still true. You are going to be a problem. And I see you more as a, a problem for uh, people that stand against God. And uh, you're not only a, a, a helper and a tool, but you're a weapon, mm -hmm. you know, that's going to strike fear in the face of uh, those that stand against God. Mm -hmm. And I, I truly see that with you. And um, I'm um, totally blessed to have been around you and just to see the circle which you, ain't, you haven't completed yet but um i mean from thinking you're going to be a problem with you know your teachers and this and that but mm -hmm. but you're definitely a, a problem in a good way that's gonna um be a, a glorifying uh thing for god awesome so we love you zeke yeah that's right awesome 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 cool well, we love you. Oh, we, we want you to say something. And, and also we would, um, mom thought it would be really good to have you pray for us. So as a spiritual son in our house, maybe you can, you know, bless us. We, we don't honestly, what, what's as a dad, what's anxious about this for me is like, I don't ever know if we'll ever be in the same spiritual household again. You know what I mean? Like a local church. I mean, I, I just, you know, uh, this is a beginning. I don't know what this is going to, I mean, obviously he's always going to be my son and we're always going to be doing things for the kingdom, but man, it's, it's, it's a strange thing, you know, it's a, but, um, if you want to share any words and then maybe you can pray for us before, before you leave. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't really know like where to start. I feel like I've been, I've been like battling with the Lord. Because <laughs> this is, um, this has been my home, um, for most of my life and you guys have been my people and I haven't, I haven't known any different. And so 
I'm excited to go, but my heart grieves. I just want, I just think that's a testament to how much I've been loved by you guys and how much you guys mean to me and for every single conversation that I've had with every single one of you and the times that we've been able to spend together and I've never been someone who's like, I think I'm someone who's always on the go and I'm always looking to what's next and I feel like the Lord's just really been grabbing my heart and, and just saying, um, just to focus on on the now because um, I think it's just it's a bit overwhelming to think about the future um, but it's helped me just kind of cherish these these past few weeks um, I mean it was kind of like a short process and knowing that I was I was really gonna move and um, happen really quick like I, I really I really only found out that I was leaving maybe about like uh, three weeks ago um, or maybe a month but it, it wasn't a long time. Um, and so it kind of has just been like, it's been really, it's been really like, I guess just fast. It's been fast and I haven't really been able to soak it all in. And, uh, I was talking to Chloe yesterday and she was just saying like, or the day before yesterday, she was asking like, when is it going to hit you? And I was, I was like, probably Sunday morning when I'm looking at all of you guys and, uh, I take my glasses off because if I could see clearly, I'd probably cry more. Um, but I just wanted to say that I love you guys and, um, <laughs> It's a lot of people to keep track of, so please text me. <laughs> um, but I'm just excited for what the Lord has um, for this church because of obedience and because of sacrifice. And um, I just want you guys to know, like, in no way, shape, or form am I, like, wanting to, to leave because I want to get out or anything like that, I think. Um, I mean, with 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 moving and change, like it's exciting, but I also know that it's going to be hard and it's going to be sacrificial and it's for the benefit of, of God's people and, and not for my own. And so I just, I'm leaving with that heart and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't really know what to say, but I love you guys. And, um, I'm excited to see you guys in the future and I'm excited to just like peek my head in and see what the Lord is doing here every once in a while and, um, be a part of that, but from, from a different spot. And so, so I just uh, just thank you for Restoration LA. I just thank you for um, just the the willingness, Lord, to to fight, Lord, the willingness to uh, do the dirty work, Lord, the thing that you've asked, and do it in full, Lord, and do it in humility, and do it in abundance, Lord, and do it to the degrees in which you've called us to do it, Lord, in excellence. And Father, I just thank you for the blessing that this church is in this community. Um, it is in this region, Lord. It is to this nation and the world. Father, I just pray for just more leaders to be um, brought through the ranks in this church, Lord. I pray for the church to step out in faith in this next season to see where um, things need to be added. Um, Father, I pray that the hearts would be just uh, just turn, Father, their hearts would be hungry and their hearts would be willing. And Lord, I pray that you would just give dreams, Lord, that you would give uh, visions, Lord, and faith and hope in this season um, to see where you are calling your people, where you are calling this church. And Lord, how um, this church can serve you, this church can uh, serve the leadership in this, um, in this household. Lord, I just thank you for just blessings that will come, Lord, because of the 
the seeds that have been sown. Father, I pray for the harvest to come in abundance. Lord, I pray for new sons to be added in this church. I pray for new daughters to be added in this church. I pray for new elders to be brought up in this church, Lord, for new church plans to happen. Um, Father, I pray for salvations in abundance, Lord. I pray that there would just be uh, just um, a yearning, Lord, to see the lost saved. Um, I pray that hearts would be uh, just broken, Lord, for what breaks yours in this season. I pray that the heart would be um, just so in tune with your heart in this next season. In Jesus' name. Hmm. Amen. Awesome. Yeah, we can give Jesus praise for this. That's good. <laughs> yeah. So as a church, we, we are sending um, Zeke and we are blessing Zeke. And I know that seems a little self-serving, but if it was anyone, we would want to bless. And so if, if anyone um, feels compelled to, to bless Ezekiel, um, he does have to get an apartment. He does have to go cross country and start a life and all that stuff. And so uh, we are taking an offering. So Joe, Joel's back there. And if you want to drop a physical offering there, that would be good. Um, if you do want to give electronically, you can do it to special giving, but it'll probably be easier if you, if, if you're able to give it physical today, um, that way we could just give it directly to him. So, uh, we love you guys. Thank you so much. We will be back here at five o'clock. It is, it is a, a potluck. So please, pr please bring a, a meal to share. We are going to eat together, fellowship together, and then we are going to worship Jesus together. So we got tons to celebrate and, uh, hey, you got come back tonight to celebrate with Ezekiel and, uh, give him your final goodbyes. Thanks, guys. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Ruby.